Dr. Hyveth Williams not to be mischievous. And I, <laughs> she's been a friend for many years. Thank you, Pastor Williams. Yesterday we began a journey together. I'm so glad to see you back so we can continue traveling this road together. I shared with you who were here, in case those who weren't here, just a quick mention, I shared with you my own Valentine's story because it was Valentine's Day, how the Lord led in my life, even though I was going to Korea for the wrong reason, God still provided. What a gracious God we serve. So I shared that with you, and as a kind of a modern-day parable of the real virtuous Valentine. And I gave you a phrase that says, let the Lord be the love of your life. If you were here yesterday, can you say that with me? I know some of you are still chewing here, but let's say that together. Let the Lord be the love of your life. Shall we pray? Holy Father, bless us now as we open your word, guide and direct us. Bring us closer to Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. I'll never forget the day I was in South Africa. I was there pursuing further graduate studies. And as I was leaving that university, one of the secretaries who happened to overhear what I said, I don't know what it was that got her attention, came to me all excitedly and said, you've got to know, uh, I've just come across a new book, a great book. You've got to get one and read it. She knew I was just leaving the country soon. So I, of course, went to the bookstore and I bought the book and I began to read it. I remember flying at 30,000 feet reading this book, going page by page, fascinating, exciting, incredible materials. As I read and I read... Listen to what this book claims. The book claims that if you take all the letters of the Hebrew Bible and put them kind of in a huge, giant type of a cross uh, word search square using a computer, you can find predictions of the future, including specific things that tell us that Yitzhak Rabin in Israel was going to be assassinated. And that Lady Diana, her death would be caused by a photographer. Of course, I was, I was reading this book, reading the book. Wait a minute. What is this? The name of the book was The Bible Code by Michael Drosnan. Now, many Christians, as I said, this was a Christian lady who shared this with me and told me, and Christians have become excited about these books. Christian books have been written as well. In fact, shortly after that, a video came out, I got this, I think 1999 or something, the Omega Code, the Bible Code. A lot of interest has been generated by these questions. But you know what? Very interestingly, a Hebrew scholar by the name of Dr. James D. Price used the same basic software and entered into the computer other statements such as, and I'm right, I'm reading them to you here, he was testing is this really the prediction of the future through the computer codes? And by the way, the, the letters are spaced out. They call it equidistant letter sequences. And so you'll find one letter here, 4,000 letters later, you'll find another letter, and 4,000 letters, another one, and another one. And you put all those letters together, and they come up with all kinds of very interesting things. So what he did, he put into the computer fo the following statements. Jehovah is a liar. Guess what? It appeared at least eight times. Jehovah is dead. 23 times that showed up in the so-called Bible code. There is no Jehovah. 
Dozens of times. He put in another one, Satan is Jehovah. That showed up too. Satan is God. That showed up too. Wow. Very interesting. The conclusion was that whatever you are looking for, you will find in that Bible code. I wanted you to see this uh, cartoon that I found very interesting. Don't bother me. I'm looking for a verse of scripture to back up one of my preconceived notions. And that's the danger that we all face. Very, very dangerous. By the way, Drosnan himself, a declared secular Jew, concludes on page 179. This is like the second last page of the book, okay? This is what he says. I'm quoting now. He says, The message of the Bible code is that we can save ourselves. Aha! Now you get it. We can save ourselves. Is that really what the Bible teaches? Especially in light of the fact that Peter says there is no other um, un, uh, under whom we can be saved except Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Is that correct? So I want you to go with me on a journey this afternoon. Let's suppose you finish medical school or public health or whatever you're doing and you get an invitation to go and work for the major corporation of health in the United States. It's a dream job. And so they send you the invitation that's maybe a couple of hundred miles away and you get in your car, you don't know exactly where it is, but you have the address and you start driving down the road. And as you're going, you say, wait a minute, I better ask for directions. And so you stop and you ask and they say, turn left on whatever. And you turn left and you say, hmm, this doesn't seem to be going the right direction. And you ask another person and they say, uh, turn right. And you, wait a minute, and you start getting confused. You keep, and you look at your watch, you see time is running out. Eventually you decide, I'm not going to just stop and ask people. I'm going to stop at a gas station and get a map. And so you do. You stop at the gas station. The attendant is very helpful. You get a map. He says, you are right here. And you look at the map. Sure enough, you know where you are and you are lost. And he says, now this is the way to get there. And you start following the map and you just make it in time to get to that important appointment and you get the job. In a sense, folks, the Bible is a map. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to one very important passage, a well-known one. Some of you who might have learned this in the past might be able to even repeat it by memory. Psalm 119, that uh, largest psalm in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 105, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Psalm 109 verse, uh, sorry, 119 verse 105. The psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Spiritually speaking, yes, the Bible does provide answers to those most important questions in life. Let me give you seven of them that frequently come up as people reflect. Number one, how can I have peace of mind? Number two, uh, what is the ultimate solution to stress? And I've got to admit, folks, one of the things, when I have stress, I get migraine headaches. In fact, that's one of the reasons I got into running at one stage before I got knee problems and I gave up running. <laughs> okay, But the stress was so much that I said, I have to strengthen my body. And so what I do now, I'm going to share with some of you later on when we get to a message I want to share about healthy living. Fascinating. I don't run for exercise, but I'm able to run in races. 
Interesting. I'll share with you some secrets later on when we get to the health uh, issues of life. But how to find the solution to stress? Question number two. Number three. How can I become the person I really want to be? Number four. How can I be certain of eternal life? Number five. What happens five minutes after death? Number six. Are we living in the last days of this world's history? Number seven. Important question that comes up too many times, especially in the medical area. You, have, you see so much of it. If, there, if God is a good God, why is there so much suffering? Seven important questions. There are others, but I believe the Bible has the answers for these very, very important questions. So in a sense, as I'm saying, the Bible is a map showing you how to get from point A to point B and to enjoy the journey as well. And by the way, not just a map. I'd like to describe the Bible as a love letter. Yesterday we talked about Valentine's Day, remember that? Now, I've got to be honest here. There was a time I was separated, distance and time from my beloved, and I began to sit down and write a letter. And I wrote. Now, I sent a letter every week or so, but I began to write a long letter. It grew longer over time. I kept sending a short letter once a week or so, but I kept writing this letter longer, and 20 pages, 30 pages, 40 pages, 80 pages, 100 pages. I ended up sending a 120-page letter to my beloved. Now, here's my question. When she gets that, when she got that, well, I was going to say letter, that book, what do you think she did with it? What do you think she did with it? She read it once. Oh, I'm sure she read it more than once. Well, I hope she did. <laughs> okay. The Bible is God's love letter to you and to me. An important letter. God gave it for us, to us, so that we can get to know Him. The reason I sent that letter, so that my beloved would get to understand, to know me over time. And, and it was a good letter that communicated. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9, to share with you and to show you how God desires us to get to know Him. It's interesting how he starts, uh, Jeremiah uses the words of the Lord, Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Yes, wisdom is important, but don't glory in it. Number two, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Yes, it's important to be healthy and strong, but not to glory in it. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but... Verse 24, let him who glories, glory in this. What? What is the one thing we can be proud about? Here it is. That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Let's go back to one important word there. Okay, that he understands and knows me. Fascinating word. In the Hebrew language, that word is yada. And it's the same word that you find in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, where the Bible says, And Adam knew Eve. Adam yadad Eve. Okay, and guess what? And she conceived and bore a son. The word know, yada, is a code word, if you please, for an intimate, personal, close relationship with somebody. Here God says, I want people to have that intimate, close, personal relationship. So personal that it's the same word used for that 
most sacred of things in personal relationships, conjugal relationships. God wants us to know Him. But let's get practical. By the way, one of my uh, studies as I went into grad school was in the area of ethics, morality. How then should we live? So let's get practical. What does it mean? How do we get to know God? I want you to go with me quickly to Second Timothy, a well-known passage. Second Timothy chapter 3. Whenever we talk about the Bible, and I'm talking today about that, communicating in code, the secret of the scrolls was the title for my message, because there has been so much talk about the Bible code. Let's go now to Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And, and let's get practical, because here in these two verses, there are some vital things that tell us what God's Word, the Bible, is all about. Why we have this Word of God. All Scripture, verse 16, reading from the New King James, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Here it is. For what? For doctrine. The NIV, New International Version, says for teaching, useful for teaching, for reproof. Oh, we don't like reproof, okay? Reproof is a hard thing, but reproof is very helpful. I love the way the New Living Translation says it. It, it is to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And then it says, back to the New King James, for correction and instruction in righteousness, or in the New Living Translation, it, it uh, straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. That's what the scriptures are for. Then it ends up saying that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well-known passage. Why was the Bible given? So that we can live better lives. I'm going to share with you some practical personal experience and other experiences of others in a few minutes. But the Bible was given so that we can know how to live better. Who gave it? God gave it. Let's go to one more verse that reiterates that. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Here, stated a little more clearly and more directly, it tells us how God breathed. God inspired this important word. And here, the word of God, yeah, the term is used for prophecy. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, for prophecy, that is the prophetic word of God. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Fascinating word, moved. It appears in another time where it talks about how the winds moved the ship along. They were moved by what? By whom? By the Holy Spirit. Now the question is obvious. If the Holy Spirit got human beings to speak the word, and of course later on write it down, which is what we have here in the scriptures, and archaeology and historical study has confirmed that this book, the Bible, is the best attested of all ancient documents. Incredible, if you go and study it very carefully. Interesting. What does it mean? What about this Bible code idea? How should we understand the Bible? Should we go to a computer and put all the letters in? And by the way, there are some, I understand, I haven't seen it, but I've read that there are some software you can find that even puts all the English words in. Is that the way we have to understand the Bible? Let's look at the text right before that. Verse 20. Here's a warning. Verse 20, the verse right before that, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20, knowing that this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
I love the way other translations say, no prophecy, the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture, is a matter of one's own interpretation. Or the New American Bible says, there is no prophecy of Scripture that is a matter of personal interpretation. I showed you this uh, cartoon here that says, don't bother me, I'm looking for a verse of Scripture to back up one of my preconceived notions. The danger is we look for things to support what we already believe. Very, very dangerous. We have to go. Now, how should we then study? Here is the warning. Don't think you can simply interpret it in a private, personal way. Where would we go to find out best how we should understand the Word of God? As I reflected on this, and by the way, I have had the privilege to teach courses such as biblical hermeneutics or biblical ethic, uh, exegesis, how to dig into the Word Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, but that's only for the scholars. No, hold on. The Bible is for everyone. It's not just for the scholars. That's why I want to show you simply, you can look at it, you can see it in the English. So turn with me now to the best interpreter of Scripture ever, Jesus Christ Himself. Go with me to Luke 24, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And I want to spend a few moments there looking at the method used by the Savior Himself. And if you want to write anything down today, I know you're students, here are four steps, incredible steps, that I would like to encourage you and challenge you to do and to use as you read and study and dig into the Bible. Vital steps, and I'll tell you why. I'll give you examples why it's so important. Simple steps that come from the life and the methodology of Jesus. The background to Luke 24 verse 27, you might recall, or you might have read it before. If you don't remember this, there were two disciples they had believed that jesus was the one who was going to redeem israel the literal uh saving the the israelites or the jewish nation from the romans getting rid of that roman oppression apparently this is what they were looking at and they were downcast and they were walking taking about a two-hour trip from jerusalem to emmaus seven miles away as they walked on that sunday afternoon reflectively on that seven mile trip Suddenly, a stranger came along. They were downcast, and as they walked, they talked, and the so-called stranger said, What are you talking about? And Cleopas, one of them, said, You don't know what's happened here in Jerusalem? And they began to tell the stranger. The stranger was who? Was Jesus. This was Resurrection Sunday. Now, what happens? Look at verse 27. Vital verse. Here are four things that come from the, what Jesus did. It says, verse 27, I'm going to read the verse, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning Himself. And incidentally, that whole idea is reiterated 17, 18 verses later on in verses 44 and 45. The same process. But I want to unpack that verse for a few moments here. Vital because this is what Jesus did. And this is what Jesus did after He was resurrected. This is the resurrected Savior of the world. What steps did He follow? Step number one. I would suggest you do the same in your Bible study. Chronological study. Jesus started with the books of Moses. And all the prophets. Later on it says he talked about the Psalms. Those are the three main parts of the ancient scriptures that Jesus had. What we now call the Old Testament. A chronological study. Why is chronology so important? Well, when I was at Andrews University, I was privileged to study deeply into a topic that was of great interest to me. I was planning to go back to Africa as a missionary. 
My doctorate there was a doctor of ministry in mission studies. And guess what topic I studied? The issue of polygamy in the Bible. And as I studied, of course, I read what different people said. And when it came to the, stu- the issue of David, people said, but David was a man after God's own heart. And yet David was a man after many women's hearts too. Okay? We know that, according to the scripture, David pleased God, but David was a polygamist. So how do you put that together? Fascinating. When you study the story of David chrono- chronologically, you will find out that the only time David is called a man after God's own heart was when he was a single saintly shepherd. Aha! He is never called a man of God's own heart when he gets involved in murder, adultery, polygamy, lying, manipulation. Never is. Aha! Number one, study the Bible. How? Chronologically. And that's when the light came. Aha! That's crucial. Don't take one verse and apply it for the rest of the man's life. Incidentally, you can do the same with Rahab. Funny enough, when Rahab becomes a believer, even in the book In the New Testament, they still refer to Rahab as Rahab the harlot. Wait a minute, was she still a prostitute when she was a believer? No, but the title stuck. And the same way with David. The title that he pleased God, a man of the gods and heart, unfortunately got stuck in our minds. So we say, wait a minute, if he pleased God, how could he have been a multiple marriage man? Interesting. Read the Bible chronologically. That's what Jesus did. Point number two. Point number two, the second thing that Jesus did, it says beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's the chronological, he expounded to them in all the scriptures. Very important. Second C, comprehensive study. Comprehensive study. And this is very vital as we look at the Bible. That's why I'm talking today about communicating in code, the secret of the scrolls. Jesus is the best one who can teach us how to interpret the Bible. He says, study it comprehensively. The danger we face sometimes is you find people who say, well, you see, you are an Old Testament Christian. I am a New Testament Christian. Wait a minute. No, we should all be biblical Christians if we believe in the Word of God. So the challenge is comprehensive. And there's also the, the, the argument sometimes between faith versus works. And you study the whole Bible, it's a faith that works. Aha! I got married to my wife Linda. I shared the story yesterday. If I just got married and I say, hey, we're married, now I can do what I want. I want. No, no. I have a covenant relationship. And therefore, because I have that personal relationship, she trusts me. She has faith in me. It's a faith that has fruit, right? It's a faith that works. Now let's look at the third thing Jesus shares with us from his own methodology. He expounded to them in all the scriptures. It's comprehensive. But notice, in all the what? In all the scriptures. Ah, Why do I say that? That's the third C. It must be a canonical study. We use that term the canon of the Bible, what is in, t- uh, in, this is the canon, we use the word canonical, why do I say that? Think about this for a moment folks, as Jesus was walking with those two disciples on the way to Emmaus, on that long trip, and he knew they were downcast, disappointed, downhearted, discouraged, what could he have done immediately to lift their discouragement? He could have said, hey young people or men, it is I, he could have shown them physically, he could have performed a miracle, Jesus didn't do that. Be careful of miracles. Be very careful. Be very careful. They can confuse you. 
Go back to the canon of Scripture. Here is where our foundation is. That's what Jesus went to the Scriptures. He didn't go to the miraculous or to the physical. Jesus went to the Scripture. Read it in its context. The canonical context is important. Incidentally, I found something interesting just last week. I read a report of something that happened last week. And here are five words. Listen to these five words from this report. He struggled with his driver. What does it make you think of? A fight between somebody and his chauffeur, right? Until you see the context. It was talking about Tiger Woods in the Dubai Desert Classic. He struggled with his driver. It's got nothing to do with a man fighting with his chauffeur. It's to do with Tiger Woods. (laughs) Five word, a sentence, complete sentence. But unless you look at the context... The canonical context, you can be confused. Be careful. Make sure you go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible teach? How do we understand what the Scripture is trying to tell us? Now, incidentally, right here today, there's a Loma Linda University medical student who came to me more than two years ago. And she asked me some very tough questions. And I said, look, uh, I'll write you. And we wrote back and forth. She had so many difficult questions. Praise the Lord for you guys here. You ask tough questions. And that's good. But I couldn't keep up the correspondence and I said, hold on, I'll let you know in a few months. It took more than two years. More than two years. But I took time. I dug into that question. And I have here today, digging into what does this mean? A 54-page document to answer a question of one verse. Actually, this 54-page document actually deals with one word, to be more specific. Years ago, they used to call theology the queen of the sciences. And to some degree, what we do, like the scientists, we dig deep. You know, the human genome. I've read a little bit. I don't understand almost everything, but I, I dig and I say, whoa, these folk really dig deep. They spend years looking at something you cannot even see. I mean, with the naked eye. Okay, So some of us in the area of theology have fun doing this. 54 pages on one word, yes. And Carrie is here today, and I told her I've got the paper for her. This is just the beginnings of what is hoped to be a a, a doctoral dissertation. Fascinating study. But you have to read in the canon. Go to the canonical context, and that's what Jesus did. And incidentally, there's a verse in the Bible that says, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned in that letter of Paul to the Corinthians. But there's one more thing that Jesus shows us here. Very important. Go back to verse 27. He expounded uh, to them all things in the Scriptures concerning whom? Himself. Number four, and most important, Christ-centered study. We've got to make sure that as we study the Bible, we realize that the Bible points to Jesus Christ. If not, we are in danger of coming up with doctrines as dry as the Bible calls it, the hills of Gilboa. The Bible must be studied in that Christ-centered context. And if you go down to verse 32, it's interesting what they say. Later on they realize it was Jesus. And verse 32 they say, they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us on the road and while He opened the Scriptures to us? The heart will be warmed. You will find answers to the most important questions in your life. By the way, this Christ-centered focus is reiterated in John chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, just go a few chapters later on. We're at the end of Luke, 
Five chapters later, John chapter 5, verse 39, and it comes through more than once in Scripture, this Christ-centered focus, Jesus speaking there, says, verse 39, John 5, 39, you search the Scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life, and these, the Scriptures, are they which testify of me. The Bible tells us about Jesus. Now somebody says, yeah, but how do I know I'm going to interpret it correctly? Go to chapter 16 of the same book of John. John chapter 16, verse 13. Here's a guarantee, folks. We know, we've read, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, inspired the Scriptures. But not only did He inspire the Scriptures, notice what it says in John 16, verse 13. However, Jesus speaking, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Jesus guarantees, don't worry, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. So I want to caution you. Beware, by the way, because the same Spirit who inspired the Scriptures is the same Spirit that will help you to understand the Scriptures. Beware, be very careful of people who come along and say to me, to you, listen, I have a special message for you, or I have heard, or I feel, or I sense the Spirit wants me to do such and such. Be very, very careful about that. Make sure it goes back to the written word. Incidentally, 9 out of 10 American, Americans have a family Bible. Did you know that? 9 out of 10, 90% throughout the United States. Yet, almost no one seems to read it. Few, if ever, read it. And in fact, it's very sad because not long ago, I came across two people both who were struggling with major issues. Both of them belonged to a Christian denomination. And they were struggling. One was struggling with serious interpersonal conflicts. Very, very serious. The other one was struggling with cocaine. Blowing his whole paycheck on one night. Struggling with issues. And as I discussed and talked and counseled, you know what I found out? Both of them belonging to a Christian denomination. Neither of them ever spends time reading the Word, feeding on God's Word, finding His promises, finding His prescriptions for living. Fascinating, especially in view of the fact that Jeremiah 15 verse 16 says, Your Word have I found, and I did eat, the, eat it. That's the word used. And it was a joy and rejoicing of my heart. Fascinating. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes, Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And sadly, these people that I counseled with were struggling, but they were not spending time feeding. And I talked with them about this sad state of affairs. And I have a bad prognosis. Unless they spend time reading and feeding on the word of God, they will not be able to overcome their problems. I know that as a fact. There's an interesting verse in scripture that says, I'm going to read you from uh, a paraphrase that goes this way. We grow only as we get our nourishment and strength from God. That's the only way you can grow as a Christian. I have no question in, in my mind why I myself, folks, confession, yes. I remember one year when I did not, did not. I had studied, finished my pastoral study. I'd gone and done my master's. I did not spend time in the Word of God. And you know what happened? That was the worst year of my life major problems and not just affecting me I failed and it hurt others around me it hurt God very very important I see our time is just about up here let me finish in these last three minutes why do I say this is so important what is the key to the code 
I have one phrase I'd like you to memorize here. The key to the code is to read and heed. You know, read that with me. Are you ready? The key to the code is to read and heed. I'm talking about the Bible code. Why do I say that? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. You know the story, you might have heard of it, of the, that wise man who built his house on the rock. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine, who reads them, and who does them, who heeds them, read and heed, all right? I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. What did I say? Let's say together. The key to the code is to read and heed. That's what God calls upon us to do. Read and heed. Got to end with a short story. I met a young man three months ago. Became friends. As we talked further, he sent me his life story. I want to share with you very briefly. He says, I was raised, his name is Chris, and he said I could share the story. He says, I was raised in a large Irish family, eight kids. My father was an alcoholic, he says. My mother was filled with rage, a very controlling woman. And his, in his own terms, he says, I was in a dysfunctional family. Stress built up. I looked for all kinds of solutions. And then the stress got really bad when my brother David was murdered in New York City in 1989. He says, I, I began to have panic attacks. Look for all kinds of solutions, medical solutions, nothing worked. Then he says, I realized it was a mental problem I was suffering with, these panic attacks. And he, he went to a 12-step program, it helped a little bit. And then one day he was told, his wife got him in touch with a Christian psychiatrist. And the Christian psychiatrist shared with him the Word of God. Now let me read you what Chris says what happened. Interesting, he says this, immediately... Okay, as he was reading in the word, he said, immediately the switches in my head began to go off as answers to my problems revealed themselves through the Holy Scriptures. He continues, several visits later, I was on track to live a life free from fear. A couple of years later, Chris and his wife Mary, in 1998, were both baptized as believing Christians. And Chris ends off the, uh, with this story, this part of it. He says this, incredible words. The blessings began to flow beyond our wildest comprehension. And he ends with these three words. God is great. Wow. When I, I met Chris, I've talked with him. In fact, just last month I had a chance to visit with him again. An incredible story. Friends, I have no question in my mind that the key to the code is to do what? Is to read and heed. Let's say it again. The key to the code is to read and heed. I want to end off with this challenge. Beautiful challenge from the letter of Peter. He says it so crisply, so clearly in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. The last verse of that second letter, Peter says, But grow in the grace. Notice what comes first. Grace. Okay. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Let us pray. Lord, help us to grow in the grace of our, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your holy word. Help us to spend time reading and heeding the written word so we can get to know Jesus Christ, the living word. In His name we pray. 
Amen.